podcast with Dan and Scott. Hottest golf podcast, whether you like it or not. Fresh from back in the day when that's a put at the park. 7 a.m. PM special where they played after dark. From the birds to the focus to the losses and the win. Welcome podcast, patron to the show, lead the pen. Get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hottest golf podcast and the swing ain't lying. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and today's episode, we're going to be talking all about private clubs. Are they worth it? Do you prefer munis? What benefits they give you? But this is really going to be our private country club episode. Uh, Very happy to be joined by Dan Barone, a superintendent at a private club, an individual who is also a member at a private course as well. Dan. How you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm good. I'm good, my man. Uh, we were talking off air a bit. I was kind of doing a little bit of what you do for a living outside today, blowing leaves, cutting the grass. I know you had done some of that as well. Yeah. It's that time of year. The leaves are raining down, but pretty much in my house, they're almost done at work. They're still, you know, I live work a little bit south of where I'm living and I'd say they're still falling pretty good down there. Gotcha. Well, you're a lucky man because I've probably got another two solid weeks, you know, of them coming down. I got a big oak tree in the front, which is enormous. And uh, it was a heavy acorn harvest this year or batch, whatever you want to call it. Um, So I've been dealing with those nonstop. Uh, Dan, let's give people a little bit of background on you, um, you know, kind of where you fall in the golf landscape, uh, what you do for a living, how it's related to golf, kind of, kind of cross those T's and dot all those I's before we get into this episode. All right. Yeah, sounds good. So right now I'm an assistant superintendent at a country club and I'd say it's probably middle of the road country club. It's not top 100 or anything like that, but it's really good conditions you know, not the best land, but course is always in great shape, plays great. Um, I started at actually the club you played a bunch this year at Jack Frost National, which is a public semi-private course. Pretty much started there right after high school. Um, a buddy of mine was working there for the summer, and I ended up getting a job there. Knew this superintendent kind of prior to going there and kind of fell in love, in it, love with it from there. So I, I'm kind of a novice when it comes to the hierarchy of golf superintendency. So let me ask you this question off the bat. Maybe this is a question a lot of people have that are listening to this as well. You said you started right out of high school. So I know that there are college programs that deal with turf management and turf degrees and stuff like that. Is that a necessity for, um, like for vertical growth in the business? How does that work? I wouldn't say it's a necessity. Like you could definitely learn a lot hands-on and how to take care of the turf. But I think to kind of understand like more of the why you're doing things versus just doing them, it's kind of nice to have that rounded background. Like I don't know if necessarily a four-year degree is needed for everywhere, although some courses, bigger courses probably want to see that. But I did the two the two year, it's like a 20-week program at Rutgers. And that gives you yeah, everything's crammed into pretty much 10 weeks each winter. You work as an internship in between. And that kind of gives you a nice rounded overview of everything. Um, so I like it's definitely nice to get that background and kind of understand why you're doing things, learn about diseases and under the microscope and what you're kind of looking for type of things. And 
identification of trees, grasses, uh, that kind of stuff. Where was your internship at when you were at Rutgers? Was it a Jersey course? No. So I ended up, I started at Jack Frost during the growing period, actually before they were even open for the public play. And they had an assistant then. And when things kind of went south in 2008 with the economy and stuff like that, I kind of fell into, oh, this is available if you want to do it. So I ended up going to Rutgers in the wintertime. Then I came back and kind of did my internship at Jack Frost. And I was through Jack Frost for that entire period. Oh, very cool. Very cool. All right. So let me ask you this. So people know that, that you know, I know you play Jack Frost a lot. Um, you know, Steve. Uh, who we've mentioned on the pod, is up there working on grounds. Um, and the, the club that you're at sits about, um, if I do my, uh, what, hour and 15 yeah, south? Yeah, hour. Right? Yep, yep, south. So you're dealing with Jack Frost National, which to give people a picture out there, is a mountainous course in the Poconos, uh, 2,000 feet of elevation, give or take. Um, and then the course that you're at, the private course you're at, is sitting down, you know, kind of in the valley, low elevation. Uh, are there big differences between the upkeep and the grasses and the growing season at two courses that are so drastically different? Yeah, definitely. Like the climate up in, you know, even where I'm at in Stroudsburg, it's probably 30 minutes south of Jack Frost. And it's a lot cooler up there. You know, you don't get those super... 100 degree days that you get down in the valley so it's the heat isn't as intense in the summertime you might have one or two weeks in the summertime where it's really cooking but in the valley we could have a couple weeks like this year was pretty brutal for no rain and um just feels like temperatures you know triple digits and the weather can be a lot different where we missed a lot of the rain in the valley this this summer jack frost kind of got timely rains throughout the whole season and they weren't as it, as dry. Just out of curiosity, and you might not know the answer to this, uh, the difference between the kind of budget for a, a semi-private course like Jack Frost is compared to a country club. Do you know the difference in, um, you know, in material prices and all those things? It, is like the country club 10x putting into their grounds that a public course is, or is it not so much? Um, I think depending on the private club, I would say it probably could be close to a double, triple, you know, if not more. Okay. It could be a significant difference. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and what about, like, the number of, like, like things people wouldn't think about, the number of mowers, the number of weed whackers, how many, how many people they have on staff? Is that double at a country club or not so much um i would say it could be maybe not necessarily mowers and stuff like that but i would say comparing to two places that i've been at yeah i mean we could have a staff of the most staff we've had at where i'm at is probably close to 30 guys in the summertime and it's been hovering with since covid and stuff like that around like 20 ish 22 oh wow you know some public courses might have 10 or less guys, you know, and mower wise, equipment wise, I would say, depending on the private club, it could be substantially more. So, so I think that's something that people don't really know about is, is the vast difference in just, you know, people hours and, 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 and people that are out there able to do those jobs. So I, I know a course that, you know, you play a lot and 
our home course for high school, Indian Mountain, they've got two guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they've got two guys taking care of a nine-hole course, and you can kind of see as you go up the scale, you know, that's a decent public course. Like, it's always in semi-decent shape. I think, you know, per dollar cost analysis, you know, like benefit ratio there, like it's it's phenomenal for what they charge and what you get out of it. But you go to a semi-public or semi-private course, excuse me, like Jack Frost, and you see like that next tier. And then the course that you're at, and I know it well, I've played it, and uh, my boys, you know, play tournaments there every year. Like, that's the next level, you know, once you start to get more money into it and you start to get more people hours into it. Yeah, I mean, the more people the more people you have, the, the finer details you can focus on. You know, you're able to go out and fill divots on par threes. You're able to trim irrigation heads, trim yardage markers, you know. Hand, you know, we used to, when we were at that 30... 30 number we used to hand rake bunkers and stuff like that so you as you climb there's finer details you're able to do with more staff yeah that's a great point it's something i never thought about you got five or six people on a skeleton crew you can't have a guy out there only weed whacking the edges of bunkers all week but when you got 30 or 40 people there can be a guy whose only job is to trim around sprinkler heads yeah and i mean you're even talking like just hand mowing First, triplex mowing that could be in the morning for us. Triplex mow takes one guy. If you want to hand mow, it could take four guys. So, you know, these bigger clubs are even hand mowing tees and sometimes approaches and things like that. Yeah, it's crazy what you can do with with more people. Um, so before we get into the gist of this episode, because, you know, I find this stuff fascinating. I, I know a lot of people do, too, kind of the ins and outs of golf courses. Can you kind of explain a, a typical day for you on the job at the country club? Yeah, so pretty much my my job as the assistant is I do all the scheduling for our guys, and I'll come up with what jobs we got to do that day, and I'll hand out the jobs in the morning. These guys are doing what. Once they roll out the door, then if I have a task myself to do, which typically in the heat of the summertime, I'm checking greens and we're doing a lot of hand watering, which is – you know, comes with more manpower. Places with smaller crews might rely more on the overhead sprinklers, and we're able to go out and check our greens by hand and supplement where water needs to be with a hose instead of just kind of wetting them down a little bit more than you'd have to with it with the overhead sprinklers. But I'm pretty much just checking checking greens in the morning time, and then morning jobs take about three hours or so. And then as the guys start filtering off their jobs, I'll start handing out second jobs of the day and the afternoons are a little bit less busy for me. I kind of more or less monitor what's going on, keeping track of the guys, making sure everything that's getting done is getting done. Um, just checking, just checking for what might need to be done the next day for irrigation needs that night, kind of things like that. I've always been under the impression and I subscribe to the mindset that if a course has good greens, regardless of its other conditions, it's probably going to be a pretty decent round and pretty fun to play. Is that something you'd agree with, or is there another aspect of the course that you think is more important? Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, the most of your dollars probably are spent on the greens, and I, I agree with you there. I think even when you go to, like, the lower maintenance courses, like that you said, like, any amount, like, the money goes into the greens. Greens come first, and that's the stuff they're irrigating and 
putting water down on and maybe they're not watering their fairways, but I said greens are definitely the probably the most important thing for sure. Have you ever had any catastrophic events at the course, whether that be maybe disease of trees or grass or, um, you know, maybe a member gets drunk and, and drives a cart like through a green, anything like that that's happened? Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, maybe like 10 or almost 10 years ago, they there was a big lawsuit with a big chemical company. They sprayed a herbicide for a pretty much like clover and dandelion, a, just a selective herbicide to kill off that like we do every single year. It was a new product and they sprayed it and ended up killing a bunch of white pines. We ended up losing like 400 or plus trees. Oh, wow. And it was a it was a big deal. Like it, you could probably Google it. Um, and that's how Northampton actually ended up being coming, becoming so open. They used to be pretty pine tree heavy and they actually lost a lot of them. Okay. So see, I, I thought that was just for like turf management purposes to get more airflow in more sunlight and stuff. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it could be, it, it kind of helped with both, but not on purpose for sure that, right. but it was, you know, there was a bunch of courses that ended up having, having that happen. And, That's interesting. But besides that, you know, there's some, been some issues with, you know, like you said, sunlight and trees the past couple, couple years ago, and we end up taking some trees out to get more, some sunlight and get more airflow out on the greens, but nothing, I, nothing super catastrophic. Luckily you're usually ahead of that and, pretty much have to be is it is it easier this is the last question before we get into the the private course versus public uh you know debate if you want um is it easier being a superintendent at a private course because you know the number of members they have and how much play you're going to get as opposed to a public course where you know whether dependent i mean you could get forty thousand rounds fifty thousand rounds at a at a public course I don't know if I would say it's easier because I would say the demands and the expectations are probably higher. Like that's a great point. Yeah, you need to some with the private clubs. Like it's expected to be certain ways. So I would say that's a little bit tougher. But on the aspect of like we get maintenance Mondays where the course is closed on Mondays, and you know public courses normally don't have that. So we're able to go out on Mondays and perform certain cultural practices that public courses don't really get. Then the time to be able to do a lot of these practices. So that's one thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes that it does make sense. I mean, at, at a public course, you're, you know, pay as you go. And no matter what, like you're going to play that round anyway. And you're probably not going to complain because if, you know, your complaint is more so like, I'm not going to go back and play there again. But if you're a member at a place, I'm assuming there are members that are more vocal than others. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say there's, you know, we have greens committees and stuff like that. So you, you pretty much abide by what sometimes what they want to do. And sometimes if it's, you might not feel it's right decision or, or something to the course that you wouldn't do if that's what they want. then that's what you kind of do. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But I would just say that, you know, the expectations are probably a little bit higher. Like you said, these people are there every single day. So even changing cups, like if you don't change cups, 
because something came up like you'll you know they want to see cups in different locations every couple <laughs> right, of days right. not like that they go out there and can play you let them go for a week in the fall or something like that like you pretty much have to stay on top of that stuff all the time right right um so you you know you mentioned that you're at a middle of the road club um which i would i would agree with right it's not like um not like augusta it's not like pasatiempo um it, you know it's it's not even marion or you know Wissahickon or anything like that um kind of in our area yep. if you will but in our localized area it definitely is one of the the top clubs um around so i want right. to get into the I, I hate to say debate because we're not debating anything, um, but just the differences between playing muni golf or public golf, if you will, or semi-private, lump those all together, and then your private country club course. So I think the best way to explain like your private country club course would be a place that has an initiation fee, you're paying dues, um, like you said, uh, there are greens committees, you've got maybe a social aspect to that club as well. And then your your public course, we'll just call it that, could be anything ranging from like our Indian Mountain that we play that costs, you know, 10 bucks to walk, 15 bucks to walk, um, to more of a nicer semi-private, which I would consider Jack Frost National. And that's going to run you anywhere between, you know, 35 and maybe 80 on the weekend. So just to kind of make those two distinctions. Now, how did you grow up playing golf? Were you more the country club kid or were you more the public course golfer? So I didn't grow up playing golf. I The first time I ever stepped on a golf course was pretty much when I got the job at Jack Frost. I graduated high school, didn't know what I wanted to do. One of my buddies was kind of working there. He was a year behind me, so it was his summer job between, I think, his senior and high school. And that was the first time. So honestly... When I started working there, we weren't even open. So I had no clue about anything about golf. And I kind of fell into golf by working there. Next year when we opened up, I kind of got my set of clubs. And that's pretty much I grew up playing Jack Frost and ventured out with the superintendent there to play these other nicer clubs in the area. Well, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I love that story because it's very reminiscent of my own. I didn't start playing until I was going into my freshman year of college like that summer you know graduating high school and then going into college um and then i ended up playing on a club team at esu where you know i was shooting like 120 and, and thought yeah. i was doing great <laughs> yeah, i mean that's pretty much like that's where i started at this year and I, i'm still no better and this is kind of the first season where i've really tried to get better and got lessons and did all these things but you know through the years it was pretty much I just started at, fell into it. I, I wish I, I wish I did play young. I, seeing, you know, what your kids are doing, I wish I would, wish I would have played on the high school teams and stuff. Oh like gosh, tell me about it. It's, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, I can only think like when they're my age, they're gonna be like, you know what? I'm so glad my dad got me into golf and and I enjoyed it because, you know, I look back and I'm, you know uber competitive and ultra athletic and i'm like gosh imagine if i started when i was five or six years old but i i had i had no way no entryway into the game at that age yeah yeah me either like my i wasn't into sports when i was younger my dad we were more into like dirt bikes and quads and that kind of thing and um just really didn't play sports at all and this is really like i don't even watch sports now golf is pretty much the only sport i kind of pay attention to and play 
<laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you, let's just say, grew up or or you know started is is a better term. Started playing you know public golf. I've started playing, started playing public golf when I was younger ish. Um, now I've never been a member of a private club. I've played a bunch of them, but to me, it was always like a cost benefit ratio. You know, like I'm the guy who adds up all the numbers and then divides it by the number of rounds I'd be playing there. And I'm going, well, man, this is going to cost me 150 bucks a round, but I'm used to paying 25. I'm like, nope, this place is not for me. And I know that it has its benefits. I, I just can't get over like the initial initiation fee. Like that's the one thing that always gets me for places because if it wasn't for that, a lot of country clubs, a lot of private courses are pretty reasonable when it comes down to just your monthly dues. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. I did the same thing at the club. I joined, I joined for the fall. They had a pretty good deal going on for the fall. So I pretty much did the same thing you did. I put the initiation fee and invited per the cart cart fees. And I'm like, man, I got to play X amount of times to be able to play less than what I would pay for a public round. Hey, podcast patrons, it's Dan. Sorry to interrupt this episode, but just wanted to make you aware that we are now being sponsored by Canmore Sports. You've seen it in our Instagram stories. You've seen it in our posts and our reels, and you've heard it right here on Leave the Pin Podcast. Canmore Sports does golf GPS to perfection, whether it be the watches, the handheld devices, anything you need, they've got. Know your exact distances, Increase your greens and regulations, decrease your putts, and look like a damn better golfer out there doing it. Go to our Instagram page, at LeaveThePin, and check out the link to save 15% off all Canmore Sports products. While you're at it, leave us a rating and a comment on iTunes. Help us grow so we can serve you, the people. Now back to our episode. But it's just tough, I the one benefit I see is amount of play, like traffic, getting backed up, being able to go out and play in four hours or less. Yeah, that's that's always like my go-to answer if I'm debating back and forth. Now, I've been a member of um, a, a public course, Glenbrook, and I was a member for, I don't know, five, six years there. And they started to initiate a walking fee where mm-hmm. – Initially, it was you pay your it was I don't know seven eight hundred bucks let's say right you pay eight hundred dollars and you could walk whenever you want and that's that's all I've ever wanted from a course whether it be a private country club or whether it be a public course I want to pay one price at the beginning of the year and then I don't want to get nickel and dimed at all like I just I want to walk into the pro shop I want to say hey I'm here and they say okay the tee box is open it's yours. And I know that's kind of like a pipe dream because I'm not spending $10,000. You know, I'm, I'm not even spending $1,000. But in my mind, that's what I want. And so they always used to ca- charge a cart fee, which obviously makes sense. That's how they make a lot of their money. Yep. But then one year, we got a membership letter, and it was we're implementing a $5 walking fee for every round you're going to walk because of the wear and tear that walkers put on the course. And Dan, I was like, you've got to be kidding me at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure we don't charge a walking fee at 
where I'm at. And, uh, you know, we've had complaints from guys in the greens community like, oh, the walkers don't carry divot bottles. They don't fill their divots in the fairways and et cetera. But uh, I would love to see more people walk because the wear and tear is 10 times less than what a, a golf cart would cost. For sure. And and it's like I I talked to the pro and I was very cordial. And uh, there was a bunch of us that only walked. I mean, I literally did not use a cart except for maybe when you had to in tournaments. I was 100% walker, and there was like seven or eight of us, and we were like, hey, what's the deal with this? And he's like, well, you know, our maintenance guys are saying that between pushing the carts and having the weight of the bag on your back as you walk, and I was like, wait a minute. So a, I don't know what a golf cart weighs. Let's say it weighs 700 pounds, 800 pounds. What 800-pound people are walking around your golf course there's none like even the four of us you know in a foursome aren't even that much weight and that's the same excuse he kept coming back with over and over so you know there was no good reason except to kind of try to you know squeeze blood from a stone in order to get a little bit extra money yeah yeah i i mean i can't disagree with you there i i feel like i would love to see a lot more walkers and golf carts out there i mean a lot of our areas that get beat down is pretty much from high traffic on golf carts. Right. Well, you know, and you probably see this as well, and it's something that I've noticed more and more as I've played the game. On a lot of cart path turns, you notice that kind of wear zone or by the edge of a green when the cart path is because people always pull the cart off yep. to the yep. side or instead of following the cart path perfectly around, let's say – you know, in a U or a C shape, they just make a straight line instead. And then you, again, 800,000 pound cart over and over and over day in, day out is going to wear those areas down. Yeah. I mean, we actually started like, and we've had some complaints about those areas and we actually started adding some like Belgian block curbing, like it's flat to kind of make it like a, like a race car track where you have like those rumble strips on the inside of the corners, just because of that, these spots become dirt over time. And we add, you know, you wind them up a little bit, just kind of make it look a little bit better with some Belgian block. But yeah, around there, and I know, you know, high volume courses around tee boxes and greens where every single cart pulls off and parks, it's really bad. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's something like the solution that you have with those Belgian blocks. It's something you can do at a private course that you can't do uh, maybe at a public course or so. So yep. I want to, I want to kind of pick your brain. Um, because the course that you're a member of, you know, I would consider it, it, it's private, right? I'm yeah. correct in saying that. Yeah. So private course, but not like, you know, an upscale private course. Um, and it's only nine holes, right? No, it is 18. Oh, is it 18? It's 18. It's okay. It's, um, I would, it's more like a community course, but the houses are set back enough where you're not like, you don't feel like you're playing within like a housing community golf course. Like you should. On some hole, like I think probably the first hole is the only hole. Like I feel like if you like slice one over, it, you might be able to hit houses. But other than that, like <laughs> it's pretty. Like I would say they're all set like back a hundred yards, and you can barely see any of the houses around the whole course. But it is within a private community. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and like I said, I looked into that a little bit. Um, obviously not much. I didn't even know it was eighteen holes, so I obviously didn't look that much into it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, comparing that, and we've talked already about the fact that there's not as much play at a private course, 
And so you have the ability to kind of pop on, if you will. Um, but what do you see at the course that you work at, which is, you know, a much more upscale private course? What do you see as the reasons a lot of members join? I would probably say, I mean, the biggest thing that I would think would be, you know, you would be the volume. I think that would be the first first thing is that you you're not going out there on a Saturday and it's taking you five and a half, five and a half to six hours to play around the golf. Although like we get, cause we are, we're not the most expensive club, but we are, you know, pretty decent club. We get pretty busy some days, but, um, we, where am I going with this? Like, well, and let me ask you, let me interrupt real quick. What's, what's busy. Like what constitutes busy at the private course? <sighs> I mean, I think we might do like seventeen thousand rounds a year, maybe twenty at most. Okay. It, you know, like Jack Frost might be touching thirty, and their season might be a little bit less. So, I mean, ten thousand rounds might be a big difference. Sure, sure. In- now, your season at the private course are are we at a hard fast end date, or are we one of the things where, well, if it's not frozen the ground, we'll let you play. Yep. We'll we stay pretty much. We'll stay open all year long as long as, you know, snow isn't stopping it. Okay, gotcha. We will maybe do some temporary – we do temporary tees on the par threes, and we may do weather-dependent, like, temporary greens. But we'll sure. stay open all year long. And obviously, the amount of golfers that come out in, the you know, February, if there's no snow on the ground, is very slim. But there are the, the diehards that will play all year long. Yeah. Well, I mean, and look, living where we live in Northeast PA, you you kind of have to, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like if, if you're committed to the game, you, you've got to be out in 30-degree weather. And I know there's people that are going to be listening to this across the country, and, and I've gotten DMs from them like, dude, you're insane. Like, that's not that's no way to live. I'm like, I know. I know it's not. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, advantage of joining where I think I'm at, like you have at the club that I'm at, you know, conditions are always great. Greens are always rolling great. The fairways are some of the tightest ryegrass fairways I've seen in – you know, conditions are always prime. I think that'd be a big joining factor, a little bit less play out there. And then, you know, so that you get to the higher end clubs, that might be like a status thing where people, you know, I'm a member of X club. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of it too boils down to not only your um, financials, but how comfortable you are paying X amount for a course, you know, there's, there's people, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people that could afford joining two or three courses, but to them, maybe it's not a necessity. And then I'm sure you probably have people as well that maybe, you know, quite honestly, maybe it's not the best financial move to join that course, but the conditions are always so pure you get, you get all, you know what it is? It's like, it's the constant. Everything is the same anytime that you go out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I agree. And I, I'm sure we get a lot of people like that where, you know, like you said, it might not be the smartest thing for them to join, but, you know, they see it as they can get out there and play a lot more. The rounds are a lot short. Round overall time wise, a lot shorter. They're able to play on consistent conditions, greens that roll great all the time. You know, bunkers that are raked every single day, stuff like that. 
Now, does your course that you work at, do they do any inter-club matches? Do they have a whole tournament oh, yeah. season for members? We have a ton of events. Okay. So there are, you know, through the, through the season, there's a ton of events. And there's always, and like you said, that that's probably a social aspect is probably another good reason. There's, you know, you get these groups of guys that they go out there and they play, see them out there every afternoon, same five or six guys playing together. And uh, they have matches all the time. And it gets pretty competitive. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's missing at a public course. Yes, you might have a men's league. You might have a women's league. But it's nothing as kind of ultra competitive as, okay, this week we're playing this club. And then next week we're playing, you know, a four-ball yeah. tournament. And then the week after we're playing modified, you know, or whatever that may be. Yeah, I mean, you have, like, I'm not so familiar with all how it works. We have, like, the gap matches and tri-clubs. Like, even the women have, like, these tri-club matches where it's, couple of the, the higher end clubs in the area and we all they they all switch and play each other playing this club this weekend this weekend playing another club and they just they all have matches it's, you know between clubs themselves or rider cup style events between x group and x group right right what what are your thoughts on initiation fees for private clubs because like i mentioned earlier that's always my one hold up anytime and and this is like, like, so people understand, like every two years or so, I'll always be like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of playing these same public courses I always play. I'm going to join a private club. And then I start to look into it, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay, that's why I never join a private club. But then like two years goes by, right, and I start to forget about why I didn't join one, and then I do like the same process over. It's like Groundhog's Day. Do the same thing over and over again. But my sticking point is always that initiation fee. Do you have any... Um, kind of inside info as to why the clubs do that or why they charge what they charge working at one? I mean, my first thought would be is kind of it's that guaranteed income that they know this X amount of money because they have this many members is coming in every single year. So that's why they're able to maintain these higher budgets because they know that this money is coming in and they're able to, you know, that's where the budgets become a little bit more. Right, because they don't have to worry about people spending money at the club or whatnot. They've got, they they know what their budget is every year. So I guess that's yeah. a great point. Yeah, and that's why, you know, a lot of these restaurants and even like you said with initiation fees, a lot of these places have um money, X amount of money you need to spend every month in the kitchen, like food limits and stuff like that. You have to spend, you need to spend $200 a month in your eating dinner here or else you're going to get charged two hundred dollars a month just yeah. so they have that guaranteed guaranteed money coming in yeah i mean i get i guess for me the bottom line always boils down to that cost benefit ratio like you know when you take everything in we don't eat out much you know so if i was going to add another twenty four hundred dollars a year let's say two hundred a month onto my budget for golf quite honestly i'd rather take a golf trip somewhere or i'd rather go play six or seven new courses that might be 150 bucks a course you know that's that's always like my end game and i just i wish there were different tiers I, there are but i wish there were more tiers of private clubs in the u.s and honestly i wish there was more of like a uk-based model where golf wasn't so expensive and you could play the course but the clubs over there are actual like, you know, men's and women's clubs, 
that just happen to operate out of a golf course. You don't have to join the course itself per se. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get, and I think that comes with, like you said, overseas versus here. I think, you know, America is more obsessed with green grass over, over there. Like if it gets burned up in the summertime over there, it's okay versus here where everything's got to be green all the time. Do you ever have to have those conversations with members? Um, because you mentioned like this summer, the drought in Northeast PA was pretty substantial. Um, I know my home course, Indian Mountain, completely burnt out, which it does most years, but to the point where you'd have to be landing the ball 25, 30 yards before greens. Do you ever have to explain what you're doing at the private course to members just because, you know, quite honestly, they, they might just not understand? I mean, some practices, yeah, you definitely under have to, like, we did a more expansive aeration process on some of our greens, this, on three of our greens this year, and they, they're slower to heal because they pretty much got triple aerated. And so you got to explain some of that stuff. But when it comes to watering and things like that, I don't, there's not too much. They pretty much understand. Like, we don't have wall-to-wall irrigation at our club, so the roughs get burned out. But I honestly think membership kind of likes that when the ball's running you know, everything's running great, nice, firm, and fast. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, who doesn't like an extra 20, 30 yards on their drive? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, it was great. Well, you know, I played, I think when I played Jack Frost, everything was firm and fast. And it was so nice playing that time of year when everything was just running. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's honestly my favorite type of golf. Now, I do love that coupled with greens that are receptive not that they have to be like dartboards soaking wet you know and the ball stops exactly where it hits in a depression but something that's something that's going to react consistently yeah you know like and that's stuff like i said about when you come down the budgets and manpower and hand watering and stuff like that some courses really you just got to flood the greens with the overhead and you can't really pinpoint where you need more water than less water and that that could be a reasoning why like greens are still soft when it's dry out and you're in a drought because they just got to water them and they don't have control where we're able to go out there with hoses and okay this area needs a little bit more and this area it doesn't need anything right right now walk me a little bit along your thought process for joining um your course that you did this fall and is it something where you think you're going to continue next year? Because I know we talked off air a little bit about this, about you know where you might join or what you were thinking of. What's what's kind of your thoughts and ideas that go into that decision? Yeah, so like I'm pretty much in kind of a unique situation because I do work within the golf industry, so I kind of I do get to play free golf other places, and I get to play you know golf privileges is a benefit of where I work, but sometimes I do want to get out and play other places and i just wanted a place where i can go and feel comfortable like i could play northampton through the week and use the range but i don't always feel so comfortable when i'm not the best player down there hitting balls on the range so i wanted a place where i could go to that's not necessarily always backed up and you know i could walk on and i knew where i joined at was a club that i could go there in three in the afternoon and walk on and get 18 holes in in almost two hours that in and of itself for a lot of people is going to be a reason to to join a place, you know, just the amount of time you can't put a price on your time. You know, it's super important. So if you want to save money, but you're playing a public course, it's going to take you 
let's say round trip with driving and everything, you know, getting changed, all that stuff, six, six and a half hours, you're talking about an entire day in the fall. Yeah. I mean, like I know, I know when you play like outings, it's, it's kind of a different story than playing like a regular, regular round of golf. But like I played outings where you pretty much need to dedicate, you know, your 144 person outing, like you're going to guarantee you're probably close to five and a half, six hour round. Yeah. And but like you said, with, and if you have dinner or lunch, you know, you're guaranteed almost an eight hour day. But like the club I joined the first time, I w- the first time I went and played after I joined, I planned on playing nine holes. I went there. It was a Friday. I went and played in two, three o'clock in the afternoon. I played the front nine in 47 minutes. And I'm like, holy cow. I was like, well, and like I wasn't playing speedy golf or trying to play fast or anything like that. And I played, I'm like, well, I might as well continue to play. I played, I played the rest. I I didn't think I caught the first group at like hole 15 and then just played behind a group for the last six holes. And I think I ended up playing the round in under two hours. And like, that's kind of why I was about joining this club because they have play and they're, you know, the conditions are pretty good and it's pretty consistent and I really can't complain. And that's the one benefit on, on evenings when I get home from work, sometimes my wife and my son, we have an almost three-year-old and we go up there and I bring all three, bring both of them and we go out there and play nine holes and my son can run around on the greens and put around while I'm playing. And that's kind of the benefit I was looking for. Now, did you get a family membership up there or did you just do a single and then every time they go with you, just pay as you go? I did a single planning on like it. My wife does have a club, but she doesn't play golf. So we okay. did a single and I figured it, you know, it wouldn't be beneficial to play family because if she's only going to play once or twice a year, I'll just pay that as a guest fee. Right. So we did a single and then they never played anytime I went. So they just kind of rode along and that there was no issues with that. And that's kind of what I was, that's kind of more of what I was looking for. I could, I could still enjoy going golfing and bring them along and I wouldn't have to feel guilty about going out golfing and leaving everybody at home. Can you speak to the costs of the two different clubs? Cause I think it might be interesting for people that might be on the fence of joining a course that, that don't even get to the point of like looking online for what prices are. Um, you know, maybe maybe help them see that some of these courses, like you said, it's a community course that's, you know, private. Some of these private courses are actually pretty economically feasible. Yeah, like so the place that I joined at, um, because I'm I think they have like a young professionals membership or something like that for like under 39, which I'm only 33. So I I I think that Bennett, that was like 950 bucks for the year. And you could get a cart plan, which might be another thousand. So say you're at two thousand bucks and you play X amount of times, like it it could be like if you go out once a week, you could pretty much probably almost get to what you'd pay at a play in public once a week. Yeah, but instead of having to fight the public and fight the traffic on the course, you're not dealing with that at all. Yep. And then I like I'm not like Northampton we have initiation fees and it it's gonna be quite quite more than that and i'm not exactly sure on the numbers of where i work at but i know there's another private club i think i was looking into buck hill i don't know if you've ever been there yep yeah played a lot up there i think like even they're pretty reasonable i think their initiation or their their yearly fee was like two thousand bucks okay so like if you played enough golf and i in their cart fee might have been like 17 or 20 bucks so if you play enough golf i'm sure you can get that round uh average per round pretty pretty low 
Yeah, I think when, you know, the, um, let's say the three private courses kind of in our area, I want to say there's somewhere around like a 10K initiation. M- maybe one or two is, is north of that. Maybe Maybe one is south of that a little bit. But I think when you get into courses like that and private clubs like that, you're not sitting down and saying, okay, I paid 10,000. It's, you know, 4,000 or 5,000 a year. It's 300 a month. You're not taking all those numbers and then dividing them by the number of rounds you play. You know what I mean? You're, you're, yeah. you're at a, a, a tax bracket where yeah, you don't have to worry about that. Club, when you're, I think I agree with you there. If you're joining a club that has even a $5,000 initiation fee or, right. I don't think you're, you're even considering those kind of yeah you're not breaking it down per you're joining because you want to join a club you want the social aspect of it you want to be able to go out and play whenever you want to play and i don't think you're thinking about like that where me and you might be or at least me thinking about like oh well if i if i played 20 or 30 times a year i might be able to get it close to what i would pay if i played 30 rounds of public golf yeah no it's it's definitely me and you (laughs) that's 100 percent. and see i'm in the boat too where now, like I can't just join as a single. I've got to include the boys as well. So now yep. I'm including, yeah, right now. So now I need a family membership into something, which you know obviously ups the cost a little bit. Um, but for us, like Indian Mountain has been so great for us yep. that they're not even charge. Like the boys are out now playing, they don't even charge them. You know, we're we're way past the season. I mean, hell, we're way past the the um like Lehigh Valley Golf League season. All that stuff's over with now. And they're still letting them go out and play, which is, you know, which is awesome. And they actually do a membership there, which for students, or maybe it's like 21 and under, it's 250 bucks for the year. Yeah, you can't beat that. And do they pay a cart fee or a walking fee? or? No, it's just so if you want to walk, you are a member for 250 bucks. I think for me, seven days a week membership is 350 Um, But even that I debate because... We play for free all golf season. Mm-hmm. Post golf season, we play for free. Pre golf season, they're only charging us ten bucks a pop to do intramurals there. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I'm thinking next year of maybe just doing it because they have been so good to us. Yeah. And, and then whenever we want, we can just roll up. And and you know that place, it's never mobbed except for league nights. Yeah, I mean. I played there, played, I think I played two rounds there this year. It was the first time I ever went. First day was like, I got out of early, out of work early because it was a rain day. And I'm like, oh, let me go up there and play. And I called and they were allowing carts out. I got up there. There was one guy in front of me and I played and same thing. I zoomed through the place. I'm like, man, this is great. Like, and it was a lot better, you know, I, it's an old course. It was, it was great for exactly what it is. And it gives you exactly what you need. Yeah. It's a hundred percent. No frills. I yeah. think that's a fair way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, I, and like i'm at the aspect like i think we need more courses like that for to to kind of help alleviate like the, the beginner golfers and those kind of things like there's how many golf i mean i can think of like two driving ranges around here that are shut down there used to be a short course in mount pocono that's shut down like or actually two courses in mount pocono that have been shut down since i can remember like i think it'd be great if those places were still around yeah no uh for sure especially with it being nine holes as well, it, it's nice because you can get around quickly. You know, if you just want to play nine, a lot of 18-hole courses won't even let you play just nine holes at certain times of the week. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and then the nice part about the amount is like they have that kind of different set of tees where if you want to play 18, it's kind of it's a little bit different around for some of the holes, correct? Yeah, and uh, and now this year with it being leased out to a new individual, they're actually putting some money into it. Um, so all that paving, you know, that was all. It all used to be gravel. The pro shop used to be just beyond dated and antiquated. The bathrooms weren't even bathrooms; they were like outhouses, and they've done just an enormous amount of work and now they're starting to put or they want to put irrigation in i don't know if it, i'm assuming it's just going to be center line irrigation yeah uh, which is which is awesome uh because now it's just hoses that they have they have you know spigots around greens yeah. and they they attach hoses yeah. to them the second time i played there you know the the place was firm <laughs> i would say that and then but the greens were still like you tell they were still using the hoses and stuff like that on the greens and the greens were still perfect yeah, well, it makes it a great home course for us because our kids play it so much they know how to play it. And when other teams come in, you know, they're like, wait a minute, that was like I had 120 and I hit nine iron. I always hit nine iron 120 and you're 30 yards past the green, you know. Yeah. Our kids know to land it short and let it roll up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it'd be nice to have more courses like that to get even the beginner golfers out there and you know, not be so nervous about going out and playing. No, I, I agree. It's something of, that, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the hindrances of our sport in that, you know, like if you suck at basketball, you can still go to any court in a park and play and, and nobody cares. You know what I mean? It, it's irrelevant. You're not holding anybody else up. You're not ruining anyone else's day. But if you're going out shooting 200 on 18 holes, I mean, hell, I don't care how fast you are. It's a lot of strokes to be taken when you're not playing well. Yeah, yeah. And where do you, like you said, where do you go on a weekend to go play these and not back up the entire place? Right, right. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to wrap up kind of the private-public debate real quick. And I, I want to ask you this question. You mentioned how there's a ton of tournaments and kind of extraneous things to do at Northampton, the club that you work at. Now, the club that you join being a lower price point, do you still get those aspects or is that one of the things that's kind of cut from a course like that? They still have them. They'll still have like, but I, I just don't think the participation as much. I, and uh, I kind of had the understanding from when I joined that they, maybe that's not what they want there. They don't want to play club championships. They just want to have their, their weaking bloody Mary outings and kind of just go out and have fun. Like they're not about that real competitive golf outings. And they do have some, like I know they had like the, the superintendent revenge tournament at the end of the year and they'll have other events, but it's not like you call every night and Hey, there's a league tonight. Hey, there's a league tonight. And it's not that type of course where every time I called and played, I've been able to go out pretty much when I wanted to. So I guess, the, you know, the bottom line is a lot of this is going to depend on where you are with your financial status. But then a lot of it's going to be what you want out of a club. Yeah. Right? There's going to be some clubs that are ultra competitive where the, the member handicap index is an average of like five. And then there are going to be clubs where people just go out and have a good time. So I think talking to people that are at those clubs, playing around there, practice around and, and seeing it. And making sure it kind of fits your ideals is the best way to go. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, competitiveness for events. And then even like I know we also talked about it as even 
convenience of driving to is one thing we didn't talk about. I feel like kind of where I'm at, and I don't know exactly where you live relative to me, but like this was the kind of the most convenient place for me to join. That was kind of a private place where I could go. There's not, I don't want to drive 45 minutes to an hour to go play golf. That's like, I wish there was something more direct even on my way home. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, so right now, Indian Mountain is like 10 minutes from me. Uh, Glenbrook, where I used to be a member, is about 25-ish. Jack Frost is like 22. Um, you know, I, and I mapped it to your course, and I think that's like 28 or so. And that right there for me, like that's right on the edge of it being like, oh, I got to drive yeah. half an hour. Yeah. You know? And for me, like it's it's past my house on the way home from work. So I got to drive 10 minutes further or it's probably about what it would take me to get home, but I'm just kind of going there. And, but right. then I still have a 20 minute drive home. So it's that convenience is Glenbrook would probably be the best, most convenient place for me to join. But like you said, on weekday nights, if you have men leagues every night, it's kind of tough to, Hey, I want to get out there and play, but there's always leagues on a lot of these clubs at night on weekday nights. Right. I think the bottom line is if you're paying a price to be a member at a club or a course, you want to feel like you're being taken care of. Yeah, you want the convenience to play when you want to play. Be able to call up and be like, hey, I want to come out and go out. I think yeah. that the biggest thing for me is, oh, no, you can't. like that. That would be the biggest thing. Yeah, it shouldn't feel like a fight or that you're inconveniencing them or they're doing you a favor by getting you out saying, well, I guess we can squeeze you in on the back nine before the league makes the turn. You're like, well, okay, I, I'm paying X amount per year. Like, you should do that for me. Yeah, like I, like you said, I've called and played at places this summer, public places, and be like, I want to play at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, all right, well, you got to be clear of the front nine by this time because we have a league going out. Like, it's like <laughs> Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, not what you want when you're paying, you know, money to join a course. Yep, I agree. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. And uh, honestly, I, I want to have you on to talk just straight superintendent stuff one day. I know we touched a little bit on it in the beginning, um, but I know I get a lot of questions through the Instagram account um, about turf management and my thoughts and stuff like that. And, and you know, my thoughts are, are just that. They're not based on anything I really know. Um, I'm just kind of given my ideas and stuff like that from people that I've, I've spoken to, but I think it'd be awesome to, to talk to you kind of more in depth with the minutia that goes into, you know, running a private club in terms of the turf management. Yeah, I'd definitely be down. I mean, even if like, you know, Steve from Jack Frost wants to get on it too, we could have like a three, three way conversation on that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty cool, especially because you started up there as well and have moved on since. And he's there now, kind of give a perspective between how that course started and where it is. And yep. I'll tell you, it's funny that um, my co-host on this, Scott and I, we actually played Jack Frost on its opening weekend when it just poured. And <laughs> it was so miserable that I didn't go back. That not, not the course itself, but just the conditions and everything. Um, but he had come over from new york and you know it's one of those things where he made the drive we were going to play regardless and they let us out because it was opening weekend and seeing it now 
you know, how many, what is 15 years later, some odd, yeah. something like that, 15, 18 years later, something like that. Um, seeing the height of the trees and seeing it grow in uh, there, there's so many, I wish I had like pictures and video of what it was back in the day, because even some of the ways that you would play certain holes have changed because the flora and the fauna have grown in. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I left there and I think 2014 and going back now when I go and play, I'm like, man, these trees have grown up. Like it's, it's crazy. It's how different it's been. And, but it's a, you know, they do a great job there, been at the same superintendent from the beginning and they keep it in awesome shape for the amount of rounds they do every year. For sure. For sure. I wanted to go into um, our archives real quick on the Lee the Pin Instagram account because we ran a poll asking people, are private clubs worth it? And I don't want to make up the numbers. I want to say what they actually were for real. Um, all right. So we said, are private clubs worth it? And we had 67% of people say yes. And then we had 33% of people say no. Now, obviously, we didn't give any indication as to, you know, why you think yes, why you think no. Just kind of a blind poll like that. Um, but kind of interesting. I think you and I have delved into a lot of the reasons that there are pros and cons to both aspects. Yeah, I mean, it It all depends, I think, what you're looking for. I mean, for for me, especially like I joined this place knowing that I'm able to play other places because the situation I'm in within the golf industry, like I still get to go play a bunch of other courses for free sometimes. But I think if I was dedicated to pay for one course, like if I wasn't in the golf industry and I had to choose between playing, paying for one private club or playing a bunch of public, I might opt for playing a bunch of public courses because I want to see a variety of courses where I'm still able to do that right now. Sure. And that all boils down to everyone's comfort factor, right? Everyone's going to have a different reason, a different agenda for joining or not joining. Yep. Maybe some people want to play a different course every weekend or other, other people want to play the same place. Yep. Awesome. Well, Dan, this has been an absolute blast. I thank you for your time. I know it's kind of yep. the, the middle of the day on, uh, on Sunday, four o'clock football games, just about to get started right now. All right, thank you. Uh, yeah, listen, have a great week, and we'll be in touch, my man. All right, thank you. All right, people, so either get busy golfing or get busy dying. If you're listening to Leave the Pin Podcast, which I know you are, you know we got to talk about Eagles and Arrows. In 2022, Eagles and Arrows is going in a completely different direction with some great customizable gear. They are doing patch hats that are unlike anything else out there in the market. Anything that you can think of, anything that you want to design and put on a hat, Grant at Eagles and Arrows has got you. Now, they're not going away from all their tried and true traditional stuff, the super soft t-shirts, the premium Cabretta leather gloves, the valuable pouches, everything that you know of and love for the quality of Eagles and Arrows is still available. This is just a new entry into the marketplace. I'm going to tell you what, Grant does it better than anybody else out there. Go to Eagles and Arrows CO on Instagram. That's Eagles and Arrows Co. On Instagram, DM Grant or go to www.eaglesandarrows.com. Send them a message. Any type of product, big or small, any type of job that you need done, 
with patches. Grant has got you. You want to get stuff for a team. You want to get stuff for a tournament you're running, maybe for a buddy's trip. The turnaround time's astronomically quick. Grant's quality is honestly to die for. There's no one out there that cares more about the product than him. As always, we couldn't be happier to have him as a sponsor, as well as the entire Eagles and Arrows brand. So live life, love golf, get to Eagles and Arrows, get whatever you need pronto.